Here now is Matt Austin and Ginger Gadston with Florida's Fourth Estate. Sponsored by Light Orlando, delivering hope together. Hey, welcome to another great edition of Florida's Fourth Estate. Florida is known really for three things, okay? Oranges, <laughs> Disney World, and we got some fiery sheriffs around here. And when Ginger and I think about some of the most interesting people in this state, and we think about our sheriffs, there's one that just calls to us. Ginger, I mean, every time he shows up on the news, we're just like, we know this is going to be fascinating. We're like, I'm listening. You know you're going to hear something. Of course, we are talking about Volusia County Sheriff Mike Chitwood, who is beloved in this community by so many people. Sheriff Chitwood, thank you for making time for us, because as people are about to learn who don't already know about you, you're a very busy man. So the fact that you're sitting down and making time for us and who knows what will happen during this conversation. I've seen you do a phone interview where you then got involved in a shootout, but that's for later. <laughs> on in this podcast. we don't have to do a shootout <laughs> during this episode but if you feel the need we can right, make they, it they, have me, they have me in an enclosed office with both doors you closed, can't get so out I'm, 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 I'm captive i can't go out oh my gosh thank you for being with us today can you just give us a little because i feel like we know you sheriff chitwood as the lawman but i don't know sheriff chitwood i don't know mike chitwood like the kid how did you grow up? What kind of kid were you? Uh, I was born and raised in South Philadelphia in a very ethnic neighborhood, predominantly Irish, Italian, Catholic. Uh, went to Catholic grade school, went to a private Jesuit-run Catholic high school, uh, was the son of a police officer. Uh, my mom was a receptionist at a doctor's office. I was a sports junkie and a gym rat. Uh, I had a younger sister who I practiced on. I practiced tackling her in football season. I practiced posting her up in basketball season. And I practiced my curveball on her, which when it didn't curve, I normally drilled her. <laughs> okay, I was going to ask you if you were a good kid or a, or a not-so-great kid. I think I kind of know the answer if you're practicing your curveballs on your sister. <laughs> I will tell you, I was uh, I was mischievous is probably an understatement, but I knew I knew where the line was because uh, corporal punishment was part of growing up. And if you stepped across that line, you could rest assured uh, I was introduced to the garrison belt at a very young age. And that's the belt that we all wear around our waist that holds our guns in place. So, uh, yeah. Oh, I, I was a belt kid too. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. that was my punishment. That's why I stayed on the straight and narrow. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So, First you dealt with mom. And mom's right. Italian temper. And that was enough to deal with. And then it was, you know, wait till you're, like the old show, wait till your father gets home. And that was round oh. two. Oh, man. I had torture. an Italian mom torture. and the belt. I feel like I'm hearing about my childhood. Oh, uh, listen. You two have, don't have black parents. Just, <laughs> hey, you don't know that. You don't know that. <laughs> so hey, listen, and I will bet you. I will bet you. And, and I'll, I'm going to see. Well, I can't wait to hear what her answer is on this. My maternal grandmother had a thing called the Caddy Nine Tails. It was a wooden stick with nine leather straps nailed into it. And if, my, if you were bad, my grandmother would chase us around at the, the dining room table to get us. And then if my mother or my aunt got a hold of it, we were bad. They used it as well. 
Man. Oh no, okay. we had to go get our own switches, which was another story. Oh. So that's yeah, you had to pick the switch. I had to pick the belt. Oh. That was the worst part of the whole thing. It was like, oh god, oh I'd gosh. come out with a little string. Why are we and be like, Here you go, Dad. That's a shoelace. <laughs> All right, we digress. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sheriff, what got you into policing? What made you say uh, that this? I mean, clearly, your dad was it. Your dad, who was a big influence on you, and that's why you did it. Yeah, my my, my father. Uh, we're, we're 19 years apart. So I was born in November of 1963. My father became January of 64. Wow. Uh, so all I ever really grew up with knew was police work. So as a, as a kid, my father was my hero and I wanted to be just like him. As a teenager, I discovered that cops were assholes and <laughs> my father was my father. Am I allowed to say that? Or I yeah, say you are. Do it. Yeah. And my father was the antichrist. So I, as a, in high school, and then my, my college career went up in flames. We can talk about that a little later. My first trip through college, uh, really didn't see eye to eye with him. I got married young, had a couple daughters, was working on the docks in Philadelphia, and I realized there's got to be more to life than this. The money's great, but this is like mind-numbing work. And I slowly gravitated toward police work. And then at the age of 23, uh, I got hired by the Philadelphia Police Department. I walked through the doors of that academy, and I knew that first day I belonged, and this is what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Wow. And, you know, you are known for being a fair person. And is it that experience with you saying that police officers were, you know, the A word, uh, or jack wagons is what I like to call uh, people who don't <laughs> behave properly. Yeah. When, when they're, when, was that your influence to making sure that when you, are in that position that you're not going to be that way because it seems you really are very fair. For for me, I, I think sports played a big role in that because Philadelphia is obviously a very very diverse city, and while you may have grown up in a predominantly white, Irish, Italian, Catholic enclave, when you were playing basketball, baseball, and football, you were going to different neighborhoods to play ball. You know, you were going where you were the only white guy in, the, in one of the gym or you were going to a Jewish neighborhood or you're going to a Hispanic neighborhood to play ball. So I think when you when you are out there and you're meeting different cultures and people from different backgrounds and you're competing with them and against them, it gives you a, to me, it gave me a different global perspective on what the city was really like. I mean, I could bike into an all-black neighborhood playing a Sunny Hill Basketball League where there was, I was the only white guy in there. I could bike into an all-black neighborhood, play ball, hang out, and then bike back home, and nothing ever happened. Then people would be, oh, my God, how could you go in? Well, we're going in there to play ball. I mean, times were different back then. And vice versa. You know, I would want those kids to come in to my neighborhood and play ball with us as well. Yeah, and, it, and it's your approach to, say, diversity that has really – ended up making some headlines because you you sort of made some comments about uh, you know uh, Jewish issues and that sort of thing and all of a sudden you became the target of these like basement dwelling 4chan uh, creatures on the internet who started making threats to you. Can you kind of explain to people who maybe aren't aren't up to speed on the story how you became the target of all of these like white nationalist kind of people? Yeah, we, it was during Speed Weeks where I was introduced to what a group, it's called GDL, Goyim Defense League. 
Uh, they hate blacks. They hate Jews. Uh, they hate gays. They hate uh, you name it. They hate it. Uh, they hate themselves. They show up at the speedway and they have a uh, projector that's projecting up on the side mm. of the speedway, a sprawling message about how the Jews should be exterminated from the face of the earth, how Henry Ford was right, how Hitler was right. And then they papered the neighborhoods. They dropped leaflets in uh, plastic baggies with wooden pellets in it. It was similar to acting like it was the, the pellets that were used in the gas chamber in Nazi Germany. And this, this, this literature professed how people who are gay, people who are black, people who are Jewish, uh, they should be exterminated from the face of, of the earth. And it, and, it, and it kind of put a shock through our community because I mean, when I don't, we don't, we never, we didn't see that in my 17 years here. And, uh, and then I did what I had to do when I discovered uh, who these scumbags were that invaded our community. And uh, we held a press conference. I, I got my, uh, my Intel folks to uh, partner with the Anti-Defamation League. We showed them the videos that we had of them, and they helped us identify 15 of them. And when they identified them, then you get into their criminal histories, you discover this is a who's who of scumbags here. You know, who was arrested for trying to solicit sex from a 14-year-old online? Fortunately, it was an undercover sheriff's deputy. Uh, aggravated assault with a firearm, drug charges, domestic violence charges, fraud charges. So here's a group of people that are professing wanting to wipe another group, of, another human beings off the face of the earth. And, and these folks are nothing but bottom dwellers and scumbags. And they came in and, and, and set our community on fire. You know, I, I am. It, it took us almost 10 minutes for a scumbag. And that because that is the one <laughs> that I mean I'm warmed I, up. I'm warmed up now. <laughs> All right, good. He's getting yes, comfortable yes. now. But we you know, when you talk about people like that who are hiding in their mom's basement and, and they were operating from basements of their, their mom's homes or parents' homes or whatever, why was it so important for you to show that you aren't hiding when they bring them to your county that you're going to greet them? at the airport oh oh hold on a second ginger because as you talk about this we have the video of this happening and this is one of my favorite videos <laughs> oh my in gosh. the last few years so i want you to picture somebody <laughs> who says racist things online and then and they get they think nobody's ever gonna know <laughs> that they're gonna get caught and so they say racist things and uh threatening things Awful. toward your sheriff here mike chitwood and then he they get arrested and they get brought extradited to Florida. <laughs> and who's the first face they get to see when they come off that airplane? Take a look. I'm Volusia County Sheriff Mike Chitwood. Anything, uh, hope you enjoy your stay. Welcome to Florida. Where you going, buddy? Where you going? Where's all the big wearing, talk? He's wearing jammy bottoms. Wait, I, know. I mean, that's not a tough guy. <laughs> the pajama pants, the hair, I mean, like, the whole thing, he, the sheriff. I, I just couldn't get enough central, of it. He was at a central casting. You could not have made that individual up. So what, what happens is after after I do this and I turn the cameras on the Nazis, that's when this 4chan and all these websites light up about mm. how my big mouth needs to be shut. I need to get a bullet put in the back of my head. 
They they get they go to Google Earth and publish my address, what my house looks like, and directions on how to get there. Uh, these trolls even discover about my daughters and start sending oh. death messages to my daughters. Oh, they, that's uh, next level. Mm -mm. They 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 called uh, they called in a, a thing that my mom and dad committed a murder suicide, and uh, somebody was in the house waiting for the first police officer to show up so they could kill the officer and then have the officer kill them. I mean, this went on, and then you got this clown on here who, who obviously was preaching on this 4chan. Uh, the best way to shut shitwood up is put a bullet in the back of his head. And remember something here. I'm going to digress for a second. This 4chan, where they get on there and profess their hate for people based on race, religion, sexual orientation, ethnicity, four of the last five active shooters have put their missives on there. Mm. The, the, the coward that wiped out the church in South Carolina with the black worshipers, the Bible study group, he said on there what he was going to do. The predominantly African-American grocery store in uh, Buffalo, that shooter professed what he was going to do. The Tree of Life Synagogue uh, in Pittsburgh, that shooter professed his hatred for Jews and what he was going to do. And then the Walmart shooting, I think it was in El Paso, that targeted predominantly Mexican folks or folks he believed to be of Mexican descent. He was on that same website. So these idiots that are on there, they're loading the gun. They ain't got the guts to do it themselves, but they know somebody mm -hmm. responding to this bullshit is going to pick up a gun and take action. You know, that it's just when you say all of those, and, and especially when you mention the Charleston Nine, I am from Charleston, South Carolina. So that is a story that hit really close to home for me and my family. And when you learn that these guys are all just hanging out in these chats, in these groups, it, it didn't quiet you when they said that you needed to be shut up. What it did was you amplified why is that important to let them see that, okay, you're the ones hiding in your basement. I am not. Because he wasn't the only person you greeted at the airport, and they're always stunned to see you. They are. And for me, it's really simple. If you don't forcefully get out in front of these things, if you don't get out in front of racism, if you don't get out in front of the bigotry, if you don't get out in front of these hate groups, it's, it's cancer. It metastasizes. So people are like, oh, just let it go. It's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal because in these groups, they're perpetuating violence and eradicating human beings based on those factors, race, religion, uh, sexual orientation, or ethnicity. And you got to go out and confront it. And that's, I'm not afraid. I got a gun. I'm going to shoot back. Let's see how much balls you got and come and get me. I'm not <laughs> okay, anonymous. So you got to tell me, how good did that feel? When this Cheeto dusted, uh, pajama pant wearing guy walks in, and you get to look him in in the eye, and all he can do is just look away look and away. just keep, just pray he can keep walking past you. We were we were getting, we were averaging hundreds and hundreds of threats. I mean, my cell phone was being blown up. My parents' cell phone was being blown up. My daughter's cell phones were being blown up. Their places of work were getting phone calls. This was something that I never anticipated. And then we got a tip from the FBI on on Golden, who you, who you showed coming down the steps. And and then the investigation was on. We, you know, we worked with New Jersey to get a search warrant for his IP address. 
We're able to identify him. New Jersey authorities go and they interview him, and he doesn't deny it. He's like, yeah, I was just that's just something I just said that pissed people off, but I, I would never do anything like that. Well, yeah. in the state of Florida, we have a law. It's a felony of the second degree for written communications uh, to, th- to threaten to kill or injure somebody. So guess what, my man? You are getting a one-way trip back to the happiest place on earth, the Volusia County Branch Jail. <laughs> And where is he now, Sheriff? Like, did did he, he get he, out? He, he bonded. He bonded out. He went back to New Jersey. He was back two weeks ago, and he pled guilty. But I will tell you, uh, you guys, you couldn't see when he first gets on the escalator. When he first gets on the escalator at Sanford Airport, he's kind of like looking around, and it starts to come down, and he looks, and he knows now who's at the bottom of that escalator. You talk about an oh shit moment. He had an oh shit moment. <laughs> If he the could moonwalk up an world, escalator, he expected to see was me. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. It is, you know, are you ever able to not say let your guard down? But even there's a point where several months ago you're doing a radio interview and you hear something going on about a stolen car or chase or pursuit. And you almost forget you're doing a radio interview, and the next thing, oh, you got your phone in your pocket and it's still on. You're involved in that pursuit. Are you ever able to turn it off? Never. <laughs> Never. I've been doing this for 36 years. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I'm coming from Oak Hill. I'm northbound on uh, south. Yeah, northbound on 95, and we're doing the radio interview with the folks down in uh, over in Tampa. And I got the phones on speaker. I got it laying on the center center console. And I hear that, hey, FHP is southbound. Or, I was doing, yeah, southbound on I-95. Uh, they're crossing 44. I'm like, holy cow, I'm right here. And, you know, I drive over you know, the, uh, the median. And I'm sitting there. And, man, here comes the bad guy. And here comes two FHP cars. I'm like, son of a gun. We're here now. Let's go. <laughs> and they had, they had had me on hold. So now you just completely forget now. Now you're, you know, you're on hold and not thinking you're now you're the third car back in the chase and FHP's radios don't communicate with ours. So, you know, I'm actually letting everybody in Volusia County know what's going on. And then they stop stick him and uh, and they get the son of a gun. And here he turns out he's armed with a gun and uh, huh. you know, he's in a stolen car. And, you know, that was yeah. that just and in the right place at the right time. And he's got socks and sandals. And that's uh, just all sorts of <laughs> issues. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sheriff, but that's not even the only time. Like, uh, we keep doing these stories, and I'm in the newsroom. Ginger is, too. We hear the assignment desk, and we hear, oh, yeah, something's going on in Volusia. And, oh, yeah, Chitwood's out. I think Chitwood's out there. And we're like, yeah, of course he's out there. He's the sheriff. They're like, no, he's the person, like, right in the middle of it. I have another one of these. I got video all day of you doing stuff. Let's. We might have to bleep this out a little bit uh, from other other forces inside of this but they're uh so take a look this is you come in here in like gym shorts i just we, let's listen for a sec you're coming in hot I hope so, they don't so there's like some sort of disturbance going on look at this guy. look at that guy right there in his gym shorts <laughs> there he is in the middle of it all pulling somebody out of a car i got some water Sheriff, how do you end up in the middle of that situation? Uh, in your gym you shorts. Know, I was at the Tortugas game, and I left the Tortugas game, and as I, I hear our guys are out in Deltona with a car stop, 
and the guy flees. And and I just knew automatically, I said, this guy that we're chasing, as we're about to get on I-4 eastbound, is getting off in Daytona Beach. There's no doubt in my mind, so let me start working my way to Bevel Road, because I know this guy's coming here. And sure enough, I'm listening to the pursuit, and it's passing this exit, passing that exit. Looks like we're going to get off on Bevel Road, and I'm sitting right there at Bevel and Clyde Morris. And sure enough, here comes my man uh, in the Mercedes, barreling through the intersection. I make a U-turn, and fortunately for us, traffic was blocked at Nova Road. So I was just able to get right up and put my bumper, as you saw, right against him. So he wasn't going anywhere. And I, unfortunately, I couldn't get my gun out of the holster for some reason. But uh, I, mean, I was able you, to pull him out of the car. Do you ever feel yeah. almost like a real-life version? You know how Forrest Gump ends up in all these big <laughs> things? I'm not saying you're just like him, but in the facts that you just kind of wind up in these situations where you're right in the middle of it. You know, I, I will tell you... Uh, in my time in Philadelphia, and I spent 18 years there, uh, I was deemed a shit magnet because <laughs> something good, bad, or indifferent was going to fall in front of me. Could fall in the hood of the car, but something. I mean, I remember going to work one night, and it was summer night in July. It's probably like 100 degrees. It's a Friday night. It's The streets are packed. I have my uniform pants on and a T-shirt, and I'm sitting at a red light, and all I see is two guys – push a guy under the hood of my car, put a gun to his head, and rob him. And I'm sitting there <laughs> on my personal my wow. personal car. Frederick Sims was the bad guy. So I jump from the car, and, uh, you know, Sims, get on the effing ground. And he looks at me and takes off running. I'm chasing him, no radio. He runs into an apartment building. I grab him. And, I mean, there's an example of just sitting at a red light. I'm, I'm doing it at 11 o'clock. It's 1020. And they push the guy on the hood of my car, and they rob him in this in this part one section of, of Philadelphia on my way into work. My goodness, uh, unfortunate for them, for that guy. Uh, so whenever I think of you and people ask me to describe, the first thing that comes to mind, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, is I think of those spaghetti westerns, right? And so I want to ask you, in the movie and the life and the times of Mike Chitwood, uh, who plays you? Who? <laughs> Who is Sheriff Chitwood in the movie of your life right now? Is it Brad Pitt? Uh, is it Keanu Reeves? Who is it? I don't know if you could find a Hollywood actor with a big nose. Uh, a, 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 I do have an old Western mustache and a gray hair. I don't think you can find anybody ugly to play me. As ugly I like, as I am in real life. Can I say, I think the guy from the Dodge Ram commercials, Sam... Uh, Oh, Sam, is it, uh, what is uh, it? Sam, because I, I he love was in him, Tombstone. he's got that voice. He's got Sam. the stash. Yeah. yeah. Which, Elliot, exactly Sam Elliot. Sam Elliot. Sam Elliot. Sam Elliot. Yes. That's yes, the guy. That's yeah. it. I mean, he, he, he's probably, he's a lot older than me, but that would be good because he would walk like me and probably have the same problems with his reasoning back like I have. So that would, that would work out well. People would see him moving physically and say, yeah, that shit would move just like that. I could see that. And he could get he could develop the accent a little bit. He could pull it oh off, I think. Oh, my gosh. And you just okay. talked about how you walk a little bit. And you've while you're in the middle of things, you were also in the news a little while back getting hit by a car on your bike. So we have this. Uh, oh, yes. There you go. Not your best look. I, I wouldn't say... Picture. <laughs> but you but you survived it so tell us how you're doing now that you've recovered from all of that well well it, it, it's it's the second time that i've been i've been run over the first time was in 2017 september of 2017 uh i was a sheriff i was up in ponce inlet out on a morning bike ride 6 30 in the morning i'm coming 
out of the sunrise. For some reason, there was a truck in the state park there that shouldn't be because the gates were closed. And I, I got my head down. And I look up. I'm like, this son of a bitch doesn't see me. And I know, I, I know, I'm going right over, right over the truck. And he, he nailed me pretty good. And, and I wasn't wearing a helmet. So as I was flying through the air, I made a deal with God. I said, you don't let me land on my head, and I'll stop cursing and I'll wear a bike helmet. So I kept, I kept two of one of the promises. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you broke one of those promises on the show <laughs> today. So today. I wound up landing on my, I wound up landing on my back. I think I fractured like four vertebrae, but uh, up had some stitches and everything else. But fortunately, I was able to walk away. And then on St. Patrick's Day of 2021. Uh, get home from work. I got to go to, a, I got like an hour and a half to ride because I have to go to a, a, a meeting and I'm outside of my neighborhood in town, West Boulevard, minding my own business. And man, I get hit from behind and thrown from the bike. The bike goes under the car. Car keeps going. Uh, their, their passenger side mirror is embedded in my back. Mm. Uh, broke my leg, had stitches in my, in, in my, in my back. Uh, it was just wonderful. And she, she was uh, texting and driving or she was actually uh, on uh, Amazon oh. shopping and oh. she drifted over and got me. And then we were able to get the car based on some cameras at the end of, uh, ISB. Didn't you go the next day? Didn't you go back to I work, went to the, work next the next day? day? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, hey, Hell, have you ever thought about? Have you ever thought if about pickleball, sheriff? I'm sorry, I keep that <laughs> it's a little safer. You know, more, more people get hurt in pickleball than they do bike rides. Uh, I, I beg to. Di I don't have any fractured vertebrae from pickleball. All right. But if you remember back in, I can't even remember what year it is now. Bike week, the last night, Saturday night uh, of bike week after the ten day event, I'm I'm out working the crowd, and somebody comes out and spits on me. And oh. I go to arrest him, and he almost bit my finger off. And we are in a battle royal. I break his jaw because I can't get my finger out of his mouth. I break <gasps> my hand. We fall over a motorcycle. I cut my head. And I was in Halifax for about four hours, and I was back on Main Street for bar closing with the hand, one hand in a cast, finger wrapped up. I had the Praetorian Guard with me because I couldn't pull my gun out if I wanted, but I had to be, I had to be out there for bar closing on the last night. Sir, you got to relax. <laughs> I don't think you do. I don't think you do. I love all of these stories. This is this is like podcast oh gold here. No, it really, it really. And the the first time we had you on our podcast, and I, I, it's a story that I still think about all the time because you know we went through a series, and and still to a certain degree we're going through a period where people were saying that African American males were not safe on the streets, and you had someone in your county who had stolen some lawn equipment. And some of your guys spotted a guy dressed just like the suspect. It was not who they were looking for. But had it not been for the demeanor of your guys and the training they received and the demeanor of, I believe his name is Joseph Griffin, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, yeah. Uh, things, could have, things could have turned out so differently because Mr. Griffin, is uh, he was a new dad, and that person could have been taken out of the community. Uh, someone who was desperately needed in his family could have been just taken out of his community and out of you know their lives just like that. Do you want to... Tell us what that experience has been like, because it has really spread and been transformative for a lot of other people, too, who saw that. Well, I, I, I will always forever respect Mr. Griffin because he was a military uh, guy. He had spent time in the military and he he really understood a lot of things. 
where he, he wasn't going to get confrontational, which was good because we were able to keep the heat down. He was able to keep the heat down, and then we were all able to come together and figure out, okay, how do we solve this, and then how do we get better and move on? So Mr. Griffin played a huge role in, in what we, we've done. So what, what our training is, we, we base everything we do here on de-escalation. And it's a critical thinking model that I learned about that Scotland Scotland National Police use. Uh, and what it is, is number one in our use of force policy is the sanctity of human life comes first and foremost. That every decision you make, the sanctity of human life comes first. And right under that, proportionality. You know, you're stopping somebody. Granted, you don't know who you're stopping. But you also got to keep in mind when you're threading that needle of you could be stopping the wrong person. You know, a black guy in a white T-shirt running down the street might not be the suspect. It might not be. You know, one of the things I've learned in 36 years is that first information that you get about a crime, it isn't sometimes right. It isn't sometimes wrong. It's always wrong. It's always wrong. And you got to keep that in mind. The race could be wrong. The clothing could be wrong. The direction could be wrong. All three could be wrong in that matter. So you got to, when responding to these things, you got to keep that in the back of your mind that, okay, I'm going to go in this thing. Obviously, I don't know who I'm stopping, but let me keep in mind, I, you still got to treat people like a human being. Yeah, absolutely. That was a clinic on all sides. Uh, your deputies did For great. Sure. Uh, Joseph uh, did great. And I think he spoke to a lot of people after that. It gave him a platform yeah. to kind of talk to people about we, how to interact. We, we, we brought him in. We brought him in. I wanted, I wanted the deputies to hear from him. You know, I said, yeah. what's the difference between Joseph and everybody in this room? Some of us, the, the difference is the color of his skin. But how many of you in here served in the military? So, you know, you got that common bond with this gentleman. How many of you are new parents in this room? Okay. How many mm. are trying to struggle to make a living? He's working as a nurse, you know, as a, as a, with a newborn and his wife obviously isn't working. He's a single parent. He's trying to make ends meet. Think of what, he, what he's telling. There's a story here because we're all the same. Yeah, that's the truth. Well, yeah. I think, uh, man, I have learned so much from uh, this podcast. I have, uh, I love these stories that you're sp that you're telling, and how you oh end up gosh. in the middle of everything I, I mean, is. Man, just I feel I feel the same way. I learned that I, I thought I couldn't like him anymore. I learned I was wrong. <laughs> You've fallen in more like. <laughs> hey, sheriff, one more question before we let you go. Okay, so there's a lot of good sheriffs in Florida, a lot of fiery ones who do great press conference. I wanted to know. You can't vote for yourself. Who's your favorite Florida sheriff? Grady Judd. Oh, I knew I you knew were going to say it. <laughs> I knew you got, you guys hang out, don't you? No, no, we don't. And I, I can tell County. you that. I, I, my first time I met Grady was in 2005 when I became the police chief in Shawnee, Oklahoma. I went to a national conference of the Police Executive Research Forum, and I didn't know Grady Judd from a can of paint. And he gave a presentation. I can't think of what the topic was. And I'm like, damn, this guy's really smart. And then when I got to Florida and I got to see, you know, him in action, it, 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 people don't understand. They see that sound bite and they think, oh, yeah, some people, I oh, just a redneck sheriff from Florida. I'm like, man, you sit in a room with him, a conference with him on a serious topic and you listen to him speak. The man is one of the most smartest individuals that I ever met. Yeah, he is really compelled. He gives yeah. a great press conference, just like you. he he tell, like as someone who tells stories for a living. When he gets up there with the pictures and he leads you down the road, by the end, 
You're like, I will punch the guy you arrested in the face myself. I'm so angry. So, but you know, when when you look at national issues or statewide issues, he's a lead a leader here for that. You know, governors, attorney generals, state attorneys, they reach out for him to to base policy decisions. They want to know what he thinks. That's that's what everybody doesn't know. What goes on behind it? He's on the national scene. You know, members of Congress bring him in to testify about policing issues in our country. Yeah. That's true. I ran into him at the cat. I was reporting at the Capitol one time on texting and driving. Who's there? Grady Judd talking to politicians. Yep. So you're right. He is. I'm not allowed to go because I'll call somebody a scumbag. So they me <laughs> <laughs> I think we only got about four scumbags in this podcast, Ginger. Uh, I was, but, but, now remember, I'm, I'm good with it. If, if you look at Congress, that term could be very offensive to some of our elected leaders. <laughs> oh, oh, now we got to wrap. All right. <laughs> and this has been another episode of Florida's Fourth Estate. <laughs> Sheriff Mike Chitwood, thank you so much, man. We always have a great time with you. We appreciate always. it. Thank you, guys. Thank Happy you for what you do. you guys and your family. You too. Yeah, thank enjoy you. it.